Welcome, readers and listeners, to this special Mezcal Men and Mystery edition of my Wine, Women, and Writing podcast, where we talk about good writers about their stories with complex, authentic characters at the fours, as well as the real-life issues that translate into great reads. And we do it, hopefully, with humor, the occasional dive into gasp profanity, oversharing, irreverence, and vast quantities of wine, coffee, mezcal, or whatever gets us through another day. I'm Pamela Fagan Hutchins, and I write the USA Today bestselling and Silver Falchon Best Mystery winning What Doesn't Kill You Romantic Mysteries. You can learn more about them on my website, PamelaFaganHutchins.com, where you can also check out the massive giveaway I'm doing on my blog in honor of the release of Shock Jock, one of my Maggie prequels. Thank you to everyone that's reading that little nugget right now. And you'll also find info on my upcoming novel, Livewire, which you can and should pre-order everywhere online right now. A word about the giveaway. I was going to be giving away booze um, from Coltisca Distillery because it's Maggie's favorite, but it turns out that it's just slightly easier to give away live baby cobras on the internet than it is to give away booze. So you're going to get booze-infused coffee and Coltisca merchandise instead if you're the winner. And um, sorry about that. I really wanted to send out samples. Oh, and while you're there, grab the entry rules. I'm having a reader appreciation retreat and picking six of you guys to come stay at our Wyoming Hideaway Mountain Lodge for a week in June. Free. Yeah. So you want to do that. Right now, well, this week, what I'm reading is Ann Wise Garber's book, The Glove Maker. It's exquisite. Um, She's going to be on the show the end of this week. And I hope you're reading along with me so we can talk about it with her um, together in spirit. But today, I'm talking live to Ken Oder about his thrilling new mystery, The Judas Murders. Welcome, Ken. Thanks, Pamela. Thanks for inviting me. You're very welcome. It's kind of like cheating to have you on the show because you're my friend in real life. Yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) In fact... You've been to retreats at my house, I think twice, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I have. And actually, that's where I learned a lot about writing. And that's where the first uh, nugget of, of an idea for the Judas murders began. You, in fact, if I remember correctly, you brought uh, an early draft of some first chapters with you for workshopping with the other authors that were here. And it really just blew everybody away. And I think that was the Judas murders. Yeah, that was the Judas murders. You, um, I had just finished old wounds to the heart and I had nothing going and you set up the writer's conference and I wanted to be in it. And you said, if I was coming, I had to write a 50 page, 50 pages of a novel. <laughs> or I couldn't come. So I, I sat down and wrote this thing and <clears throat> The first couple of chapters um, are basically what is close to what is in the Judas murders now. And you critiqued it for me and you told me those two chapters were great and you told me the rest of it really sucked. (laughs) Oh, sorry, I laughed too loud. Sorry for everyone's ears. I don't think I said sucked. (laughs) Actually, you you didn't say it quite like that, but that's that's what I got out of what you told me. And I... (laughs) I tended to agree, and uh, so I started reworking it, and uh, I was very encouraged by the other writers because they only saw the first 10 pages, and they really liked that part. So I took that, and I spent 
a god awful long time trying to straighten that plot out. And uh, you looked at it again, and you helped me with that. A lot of people helped me with this book, and it finally uh, it finally came to be born. And uh, it took me about two years to get it together. I think that it was time well spent. Y- you know, you set a pretty high bar when you started the series. And, and for those of you that haven't read Ken's um, mysteries and suspense before, he has a mystery and suspense series called Whippoorwill Hollow. And the um, first book is called The Closing. And the second book is called Old Wounds to the Heart. And so he set a really high bar <laughs> with the first two books. And then somewhat tongue in cheek, he's hilarious. Uh, geez, it's funny. You should write humor. We've told you this over <laughs> and over. <laughs> <laughs> he writes the funniest emails. He's so funny in person. And you don't write straight up humor, but there are plenty of really funny moments in your books. Yeah, well, I, I, I can't control, actually, what I write. I don't, I'm not that disciplined. What, what happens is I sit down and ideas come into my head. And uh, from there, the, cha- the creative price process is completely chaotic. I mean, I don't outline. I just keep writing. And what's in my heart is what comes out. And apparently I have a fairly dark heart because I, I tend to write murder mysteries. And some of these murders are, you know, pretty dark, as are these Judas murders. They're pretty dark. And you write a very atmospheric, um, I guess you'd have to call it historical, the 1960s now, even though it doesn't feel that long ago, does it? Um, but 1960s setting, a real moody, atmospheric um, Blue Ridge Mountains area, right, for your setting? Yeah, it's actually 50 years ago. It doesn't seem that long, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's inspired by the area where I grew up, which was a, a rural farm town at the foot of the Blue Ridge Mountains. And uh, I lived near a place called Sugar Hollow, which I've converted into Whippoorwill Hollow. <clears throat> and my characters, when I sat down to, when I first sat down to write, I thought I would write about Los Angeles, and that's where I'd lived for 50 years, and instead of that, what came out was that old place where I had grown up, and which I still love, and, uh, and I can't seem to write about anything else. I'm so glad you don't, because that's what I fell in love with from the very first minute I picked up um, the closing. Uh, at one point in time, Ken and I were working with the same really wonderful um, editor, Megan Pinson, and she had told me, you really need to read this book. I think you're really going to be interested in this writer. For starters, you guys have this similar background, you're employment lawyers, but you're going to love his writing. And um, and we sat down, both my husband and I, and read it and then talked about it together. And just like with the Judas murders, you really have a gift not just for that atmospheric setting, in my opinion, um, and, and of course, you know, the action and, and the mystery and the, and the dark heart stuff, but um, you really do a heck of a first chapter. You really have that gift of grabbing people, and she was right. We loved it. Well, you know, uh, you actually and several other authors have talked to me about how you start a novel, and how important the first two or three chapters are. And, um, you know, I learned to write basically through legal writing. I, 
I took creative writing classes and stuff like that at the University of Virginia. But when I started um, practicing law, I had to write legal briefs. And one of the lawyers that I worked with got the unpleasant experience of my first draft of a legal brief. And when he looked at it, he said, you know, <clears throat> you got to think about your audience. You're writing to a judge and a law clerk, and they're the only ones that are going to read this. And their caseload is overwhelming and they have no time, and you're sitting here writing some sort of English literature essay with all these flowery terms, and he said, what you need to do is cut all the BS, uh, say it quick, say it plain, and uh, you'll hold your audience. And so when I started writing fiction, I forgot that for a little while, but when, it, when I got serious about this, I realized that there are what, maybe maybe half a million new book titles every year coming out. And if someone picks up my book to read it, then I, it's kind of incumbent on me not to waste their time. And I need to grab their attention. And so that at first chapter is meant to be punchy and to grab you. So in the closing, the closing starts with a criminal defense attorney walking into a maximum security uh, visitation room and and interviewing a man who's on death row and who's who thinks he's close to being executed. And uh, Old Wounds to the Heart starts with a guy <clears throat> in the middle of the night uh, getting out of his truck and putting on a ski mask and getting some uh, leg and hand manacles out and his shotgun loaded and heading up a hill toward a house. And uh, Judas Murder starts with the discovery uh, Sheriff Coleman Grundy uh, discovers a the body of a woman uh, in the front yard of her house with her husband sitting on the porch with the murder weapon in his back pocket. So, you know, I try to get off to a good start, and then I try to be efficient all the way through. This is what you do, too. This is what I think good mystery writers do. Um, you uh, you start with action, you complete, you continue with action, and you finish with, finish with action. Yes, <clears throat> you read so many books where I think of it as is they're talking heads. You know where th there's not anything really happening. It's just people talking to each other, and and talking can be uh, suspenseful, tense, romantic, and all kinds of wonderful things. But when you're writing a mystery. Things need to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they need to happen, and they need to happen fast and efficiently. Um, I also, in, in my books, I try to wrap into the mystery uh, or wrap around the mystery some sort of tremendous human struggle. <laughs> um, in the Judas murders, you find out fairly early on that Sheriff Coleman Grundy, who's 62 years old and has a very bad back, which I, by the way, had back problems when I started writing this thing, so I know whereof I speak. <laughs> um, he is, he's, his wife has died three years earlier, and he's still in love with her, and he can't stop loving her, and he can't stop thinking about her. And so every day, he puts one foot in front of the other and tries to go forward, but He's not the same man as he was when she was alive. So these, this murder comes along, 
and he thinks it's a fairly standard routine revenge murder by a jealous husband. But then some other murders occur, and they're happening fast-paced, and he doesn't know why. And what what begins to happen is that these murders ironically create a distraction for him from his grief, and they give him, uh, you know, some sort of sucker from from the grief. And but as it goes along, the the mystery of the murders begins to turn on him and and the death of his wife and he begins you begin to wonder if he's going to survive that can he can he overcome is he resilient enough to go forward and that's another element of suspense i tried to lay out through the plot definitely you know i I feel like um one of the world's leading experts on the novels of Ken Oder (laughs) 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 because I have been involved with all three of them. Um, But I'm not the expert you are, but I'll tell you what I gather from you is that you do very much always find a way to put a lot of pressure on your protagonist. And I'll throw out here, guys, his protagonist um, while the Judas murders comes the closest to being a, uh, a procedural mystery because you have a, a sheriff that is your protagonist. The others aren't. He's very diverse in, in how he delivers this suspense and mystery. But a commonality besides, for me, that wonderful moody atmospheric setting is that you do pummel your protagonist and that you're romantic. You're a romantic. <laughs> You, it was in there, and I have to say it, your books have strong romantic elements. And you once told me that you fall a little bit in love every time with whoever your protagonist is in love with. Is that still true in the Judas murders? Yeah, well, don't tell my wife about this. <laughs> <clears throat> but I guess if you're going to if you're gonna have an affair of the heart, it's probably a good thing to have it with someone fictional. <laughs> but... Uh, in all three of these novels, um, in, the, in the first novel, the, the love interest was Christine, and I, I definitely fell in love with her, and I, I, that stuck with me for a while. And then the second novel, it was Eva Gitlow, and uh, then in this novel, there's Kelly McNeil, who is a, a 60-year-old uh, businesswoman who has basically become the most powerful and successful businesswoman in southwestern Virginia. And this is having rebounded from her husband walking out on her without any warning when she was young. So uh, she's, she's a really engaging character for me. And I these, these people, I don't, you know, I know when I read your novels, I, I sense the same thing. Yes. When you create these people, they kind of become real. And they they start, I've even had instances where they start talking to me. Uh, You know, I'll be writing something and and I'll be writing the chapter and and they will speak. And it's almost as though it didn't come from me. Now, you know, I'm not nuts. I know they they do come from me, but (laughs) it's as though I didn't think of this. They did. I had that experience with with uh, Cole Grundy in this book and with Kelly McNeil and with 
Um, Reba, uh, who is who is also a big part of this book, who's a a person who was abused when she was a child. Um, it's it's interesting how that happens. I don't. I that's that to me is the most enjoyable part about writing. It's when those characters start to take over and and talk to you. It's totally magic, and you don't you don't know like when you're riding along at least for me you can be sitting there for days for weeks for months thinking i'm not getting any traction i'm beating my head against a wall and then all of a sudden it you can't force it it just starts to happen and they come alive and your writing changes and improves your enjoyment of the writing changes and improves and it's just so cool and a little nuts but it's so cool yeah, no doubt about it. The Judas murders was the most frustrating experience I've been through and the most rewarding. It, uh, for about a year, I couldn't make anything work except the first two chapters. And um, I gave up on it twice. And I was, you, would, you mentioned Megan Penson before, who is still my editor, and she, she saved this thing a couple of times with encouragement and pushing me forward. Then all of a sudden, about six months before I finished it, it began to take shape. The characters became more real, and I became invested in them, and they became live. And they and and it from there on, you know, it was just really enjoyable. But I got to say, that first year was pretty awful. <laughs> well, and you had a lot going on, so you know it's. It, it's funny. It's almost like sometimes your characters are like, we want to be number one. <laughs> yeah. You can't, you can't like have a life. <laughs> you have to throw yourself into our world completely or we're going to hold back on you. Do you do anything to get into character? Do you, you know, um, do you, uh, do you read certain books or listen to music or look at certain art or things that make you feel like I'm in Whippoorwill Hollow or I'm Cole Grundy or anything like that? Sometimes I, um, in the first book, in the closing, uh, the guy on death row, Kenneth Deathridge, I gave him my first name. I gave him my name and I did that because I was having a hard time identifying with him. And I was trying to identify with him so I could write better about him. And it helps some, but I'm, I'm not sure I'm as good at it as you are. You, you channel your protagonists and you, you, I, I follow the things you say on Facebook and elsewhere about what you're doing. I'm not quite that good at it. I don't, I don't think I can, I can quite say I step into their shoes. I feel more like they're next to me and they're in the room with me and I'm talking to them and they're there and I can see them and I can hear them. So I guess I'm creating them, you know, to be real, but I'm not really inside them as much are, as I feel are like you, you are. You, I remember that when you wrote the closing, or at least from my perspective, and I think my memory too, you identified with your main character there in the sense that he was a lawyer you were a lawyer, you were thinking back on old cases. Is, is that roughly true or am I making this junk? No, up? that was true. Actually, the, the central <clears throat> plot line came from a case that I handled. I, I, uh, I had a death, a death row defendant in the late 80s that I represented. And, you know, it was in Los Angeles and he had been convicted of 
killing a woman in South Central LA, so it wasn't exactly Whippoorwill Hollow territory. But that was the inspiration for the main plot line that got me into this thing. So you're right, with the closing, I was closer to Nate Abbott than others, although I've tried to make people understand that I was not an alcoholic who cheated on my wife, but you know. <laughs> I, will, I will vouch that you are not an alcoholic and that <laughs> your wife shows no signs of that kind of damage. Um, <laughs> and yeah. now what about um, with Cole? Do you, did you find yourself relating to him? Um, or was he kind of pushing outside your boundaries and going for someone totally different from you or tell no, us. No, he's, he's, he's close to me too. Um, you know, one time when you and I were talking, you told me that, um, that, uh, you, you write, sometimes you write what you're most afraid of. Right. And, uh, I had never thought of that before, but in this book, I clearly was writing what I was most afraid of. I was, I was thinking about Cole and his wife and how close they were, and she dies, and he, <coughs> he can't, <coughs> excuse me, he can't let her go. Right. He can't, he, he can't adjust to the loss. And that, uh, you know, I've been married to my wife for 50 years, and when I was writing that, you know, I could, I could feel that. I, you know, I imagined it was not, that's why I say it came from a dark place in a way, because, you know, you don't want to imagine something like that, but, but it definitely was there. And then he's also, he's 62. Now I'm, I wish I was 62. I'm not 62 anymore, but he, he's got health problems. He's got, uh, he's getting depressed about the fact that his body's breaking down and, he doesn't feel like he's got anything to look forward to. Um, I'm not like that, but I, I had physical issues that I had to struggle through, including a very bad back and how miserable that can make you feel. And I, I was able to get that out in the book. I guarantee you that's in there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when we think about what makes a character readable, and I think that, that you know, when I think of really great readers, they often attach to a character. They enjoy your plots. They are ca they're, they're, the plots are the page turners, but they keep coming back for characterization. Um, and that gets to, can you really make us feel his bad back? Can you really make us believe that he loved his wife and that he's having trouble functioning? And, do we relate to that in some way? Do we have that same fear ourselves or do we know somebody like that? Or have we been through it? And you make it real. And that was to me, the strongest thing about old wounds to the heart. You could feel the pain and the anguish decades long pains pain and anguish of all these characters. And the other thing is, is that you do mature adults well, and I don't know if you set out to do that, but there's, I'm so fascinated with your active um, ass kicking, you know, mature adult characters. You're not doing, you know, 20 somethings, um, but they're still struggling it out. So anyway, when I think of like what we're talking about in general on the show, which is complexity and authenticity of character and not 
notwithstanding the need for action and the need for plots and where the story come from, you really do nail it. Well, thanks for saying that. I, I think that <clears throat> the characters actually drive the plot. I, you know, when I started writing, I was thinking that, you know, I need to sketch out a plot and then I kind of put the characters in it and flesh it out. But that hasn't been the way it worked for me. I've found that I can only write the plot after I figure out who the hell the characters are, who they really are. Not just, you know, name, rank, and serial number, but deep down, what's going on. So, um, like with Old Wounds to the Heart, I, you know, I've got this character, this 80-year-old Billy Kirby, who has spent his whole life basically engaging in instant gratification and the future be damned. Now he's 80. All that stuff has rolled up on him. All those bad choices have rolled up on him, and he's, he hasn't got much time left to straighten things out, and he isn't very happy. And that's another one of those things where I think I was writing about what I would be most afraid of. What would you do, you know, if you got to the almost end of your life and you had made bad choices all along the way and now you had to live with them? And can you come back from that? And I, part of what I was trying to write in that book was don't ever give up. Keep trying. Yeah. And, and it, it was while there's similarities between your books, mystery, suspense, this elements we're talking about. Um, when I first picked that one up, when you first sent it to me, I was so delightfully surprised. And you told me, you'd said, this isn't what you think it's going to be. I'm writing the book of my heart. You know, I'm not writing the book of <laughs> what somebody else told me to do. It's going to be different. And I was so delightfully surprised. And yet now, as I know you as a writer, it shouldn't be a surprise because you, you do let those characters tell the story and you had this character inside you. And I agree with that, by the way. I'm, I am an outliner. I do try to plan my books, but that's just because I'm so lazy. I don't want to have to redo a bunch of stuff. I want to move fast. But I can't really get started and I can't even really get outlines to have traction until the characters are so well known to me that I'm letting them live it out inside of me. I'll walk around with it for days or weeks on my mind and in my heart. And you just, you have to wait for the muse to strike. And the muse in this case is, is the characters themselves. What, did, what story do they really want to tell you? Cause that one you had planned wasn't it, you know, sometimes what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, that's uh, I think you outline after you've got the character figure out. Yes. Um, I, I don't outline at all. I, I, I actually, I do start outlining after I'm about halfway in. <laughs> and, it, and it sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But you said another interesting thing there, what you said um, about the second novel, Old Wounds to the Heart, uh, being from the heart. Uh, when I wrote the closing and it was finished, there was a fair amount of pressure from readers who looked at it and read it and liked it for a sequel and the sequel seemed like I mean there were some things that I could have jumped off there were jumping off points at the end of the closing it looked like it was set up for a sequel and I thought about writing a sequel I even tried to write a sequel a little bit and then I um, I was talking to you actually on the phone and I said I was struggling with this but I had another book in my mind that I had been working on 
And I said, I, you know, it's not a sequel. It's completely unrelated, except that it happens in Whippoorwill Hollow in the late 60s. And it'll have a few overlapping characters. And you said, you should write what's in your heart. Now, that's not the right commercial answer. Correct. I think it's better off if you write sequels. If the first one's successful and the closing was successful, there are a lot of, a lot of people that read that book. So, <clears throat> but I wrote Old Wounds to the Heart. And so I go from a murder mystery involving a death row defendant to a love triangle involving uh, three people who are over 75 years old. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's strange, but it's what I had to write. And I feel, I felt better about that book. I, it was the right thing for me. And the same thing with the Judas murders, which goes in yet another direction. Uh, and I actually, I'm working now on a book that, uh, <clears throat> it, you know, these things, I get these ideas. Sometimes they come together. They sometimes they don't. Right now I'm pretty far into this one and it looks like it might work. And this one involves a 76 year old bank robber with dementia. <laughs> <laughs> You've been holding back on me. How come I didn't know that? I'm, I'm so, I'm smiling ear to ear. I'm tickled. Well, I don't know where it came, I don't know where it came from, but it's, it's beginning. I mean, it looks like it maybe is going to make it. I mean, it's making sense so far. Yay. I'm, well, that was one of the things I was going to ask you is what you're working on. And I thought, oh, I'm going to ask him. And he's going to say, you always ask me that. You push me. Push me. <laughs> Well, it doesn't have a title yet, but it's got a, a an interesting main character who, uh, you know, is trying to remember where he stashed the money he stole and things like that. So, oh, Ken, that's so fantastic. <laughs> um, well, and and you know, the the commercial success. I mean, I work with a lot of writers, um, and. And some of them, that's a really big consideration. And some of them, it's a big consideration at one point in their journey and not at others. But at the end of the day, you've got to write something. Writers have to write something. If you're blocked, if you're stuck, if you've got the book of your heart that wants to get out of you, then, you know, writing, forcing yourself to write something that's just not inside you at that point can be a really brutal, soul-crushing exercise. And professional writers do that all the time. Um, but, you know, sometimes you just have to say, I'm writing the one that stirs me. And I think you made a great call with the old wounds. And when you get the whole body of work together, you know, these disparate yet related novels, I think you're going to have something really neat, this community of characters and, and their differences and their similarities it's not apparent when you're standing on the front end of it. But when you look back on him, you can say, oh, he's got those two that are so quirky and he's got these that are so, you know, procedural, but they all fit together in, in a crazy way. Well, it's a community of people at a certain time in a certain place. And uh, some of them are inspired by people I knew and some are not. Some are just coming up out of my my distorted thinking, but um, I <clears throat> I feel like they kind of hang together because they have the common place and the common time, and there are overlapping characters. The main character in the Judas murders, Sheriff Coleman Grundy, I mean, he's in the other two books. He makes cameo appearances, but he's in both books. 
Um, and there are other characters that are shared too. And, and then there are entirely, in, entirely new characters that, I don't know, for me, this is, this is the way to go. This is what I feel. This is what I need to write. And, uh, you know, I'm not in this to make a fortune because, uh, and I'm glad I'm not because I would be homeless out here with a bunch of people in LA. I can't, uh, I can't do it commercially. I've got to do it because I enjoy doing it. And this is the way I enjoy doing it. Very, 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 very few writers can get it done commercially. And um, I'm thinking right now about the conversations I have offline with guests. I don't know quite as well. You know, that's, there's the before and the after the radio show. Um, conversations. And I'm trying to think of any, I think I've had two guests in the last year that I know are commercially successful and a third that might be. How's that? <laughs> and, and you can look back on the list. Most of them are New York Times bestsellers. So with that, we have kind of come to the the end of our rainbow here. <laughs> if we talk much longer, um, no one's going to be able to hang around to hear the end of it. So before we go, I want to plug that Ken, in the interim between his books, he writes a really, really good blog um, and has developed quite a devoted following. So go check out his website, Ken Oder, K-E-N-O-D-E-R.com, and um, sign up for the, his newsletter and his um, blog as part of it um, because I think they're fantastic. He's one of the few people who I actually read their newsletter because most of the time it's just someone giving me a sales pitch with Ken. It's going to be some really rich nuanced story with great historical ties and some, you know, really amazing event or person that he experienced in his life. And so it's pretty darn cool. Have I left anything out, Ken? Did we not talk about anything we should have? No, I think you hit all the points as usual. <laughs> well, and I am glad that you agreed to do this. Um, authors are famously introverts, especially when it comes to their own work. And so it's not without some arm twisting that I'm able to get some people on the other end of the line. Before we wrap it up, I want to make sure that I mention that this show is a copyrighted production solely owned by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And remind you that Ken has three great books. Start at the beginning, run the table, the closing, old wounds to the heart, and the Judas murders. And that next week we're going to be, or later this week, we're going to be talking to Ann Weisgarber about the, uh, the glove maker. Um, and if you are so inclined, you can pick up My Shock Jock, which is currently out, or pre-order any of the Maggie books. Be sure you enter the giveaway. Um, no live baby cobras, no booze, but you do get booze-infused coffee if you win. And check out the details on um, entering the contest to be one of the readers that's picked to come spend a week in Wyoming in the mountains um, celebrating the Maggie books with us. I will throw in that we're going to do some live wine, women in writing um, podcasting, um, possibly with some live Wyoming writers there with us um, during that retreat. And that's all I can think about for today. Ken, it was so much fun talking to you. It's it's always a treat, and, and thanks for doing it on the radio today. It was fun for me, too, and thanks for inviting me on here and, and uh, talking to me about my books. You are so welcome. And thank you, everybody else out there, dear listeners, for joining me. And until next time, here's to real women and real men and those who write 
their, their character counterparts, good wine and really good books.